our Old Testament reading this morning to prepare us for our Gospel text in Luke chapter 10. Our Old Testament reading comes from God's law in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. God says to his people, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen. And be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. And now we turn to Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter, the final paragraph, beginning at verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's words, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and bothered about so many things, but Only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. The gospel offers the hope of full recovery to every emotionally frail, fragile, fretting perfectionist who comes by faith to Jesus Christ. Now I should begin by explaining what I mean here by perfectionists, because there's a theological definition of perfectionism. It's the doctrine that a state of freedom from sin is attainable on earth. And, of course, it's a grossly unbiblical doctrine. Unless repented of, it becomes the ruin of those who trust their own moral attainments, and not Christ alone to save them. 
Perfectionism, understood this way, is the doctrine of pleasing God and so escaping his infinitely holy wrath against sinners on my own, by my own merits. Specifically, by my own attainment of moral perfection. Now, friends, this theological definition of a false doctrine is not the definition of perfectionists, I mean today. When I speak of perfectionists this morning, what I mean is the everyday garden variety, obsessive-compulsive people who fret if a picture on the wall happens not to be hanging straight. People who fuss and fume if the tablecloth isn't properly ironed, or the seating place cards are misplaced, or the roast is a little overdone, or they're just running behind schedule for the dinner party they'd planned. I'm talking about Martha of Bethany and the millions and millions of people like her, people who believe that if it's not absolutely perfect, then it's simply not acceptable. People who actually believe that good enough isn't. The setting of today's lesson is one of hospitality offered to the Lord Jesus Christ in a godly Jewish home in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. It's not the first time Luke's shown us Jesus being welcomed into a private home. Back in Capernaum, way back in chapter 4, Simon Peter and his young bride and her mother They had him over to their home after the morning synagogue service. And then in chapter 5, Levi hosts a reception at his home for Jesus. A big one. Lots of people dropping by, fellow tax gatherers and others, crammed themselves into Levi's house just to meet Jesus. And then later in chapter 7, Simon the Pharisee had Jesus in for dinner. And before that evening was over, Jesus had actually rebuked Simon for his relative lack of customary hospitality. No kiss of greeting when he came through the door, no water to wash up, and so on. Clearly, the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased with home hospitality when it's done well, when it expresses the genuine love in one's heart for the honored guest. That had been Abraham's way even with strangers. It's the Jewish way, it's the godly way, and it was Martha's way. And home hospitality happens also to be the Christian way. Sometimes New Testament churches actually met for worship in people's private homes. Philemon 1 and 2. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, the sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. That's where they met. That's where the church met. His pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus both make hospitality an important criterion for church office. An overseer must be hospitable. There in Crete, one of the major island crossroads of the Mediterranean, Titus himself was urged to diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Isn't it a pleasant thing to see the friendly face and supportive hand of brothers and sisters in Christ when you're far from home? 
When you're traveling, of course it is. We ought to reach out and help if we're in a position to do so. And we should do so not just because the Apostle Paul happened to think so. The Apostle John and the Holy Spirit who inspired both of them in his third letter writes a tremendous commendation of the beloved Gaius for his hospitality, his habitual hospitality. It was offered not uh, to people that he knew well, but even to strangers who carried with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an important caveat, let me say. That's an important caveat. If all this talk about the Christian duty of opening your home to others, if it's beginning to sound a little oppressive, or burdensome, or even scary to you, peace, brother. Relax. Remember King Hezekiah after his recovery from sickness? Do you remember that friendly Babylonian envoy who on that occasion was shown everything there was to see in the royal house of David? Do you remember what came of it? Captivity did eventually. The plundering of the royal house. There is neither need nor wisdom in throwing open to pagan strangers every single nook, cranny, and silver spoon in the house. And the wise householder the one who's concerned for the good of his family, concerned for his own property, keeps his eye on snoops. Keeps an eye on the overly curious, because your home, friends, your home is yours. God has given it to you as your refuge, your haven, and your family's haven. So we don't open our homes to just anybody who happens along. John made that clear, too, in his second letter. John said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is the teaching of Jesus Christ, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. What this means is that Christians need not only be graciously hospitable, we also need to be prudently selective. And so, whom should we, as homeowners, decide to host? Whom do we decide to welcome in and feed and support? The standard by which we discriminate whom we welcome in is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord are welcomed in always, entirely, wholeheartedly. But we should remember that like the city of God itself, that new Jerusalem described in the Bible's final pages, that glorious city of which the Christian home is just an earthly model, a miniature, a little thumbnail sketch of that city and of the Christian home, it says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Friends, some people just don't belong in your home any more than they belong in heaven. 
But returning to the point of this morning's text, Christ Jesus most certainly does belong there. He and his followers do. Now, what we're seeing played out in this little episode are two distinct perspectives on Christian hospitality. It's often the case that a family operates as a team. While he's in the kitchen putting the final touches on the meal, she's in the parlor chatting with the guests, or vice versa. But this isn't family teamwork we see here, is it? What we see here is frustration. This is strife. This is Martha getting ready to tear her hair out because she's trying single-handedly to juggle appetizers, soup, main course, side dishes, beverages, desserts, and table settings for probably at least 15 people. Count them up. Mary, Martha, Jesus, and probably his 12 disciples with him. Maybe brother Lazarus, who lived there as well, which would take the guest list to 16. So here we have Martha doing her level best to keep the hot things hot, the cold things cold, and having them all ready to serve at precisely the right temperature, at precisely the right moment. Meanwhile, her sister Mary is out there in the parlor, seated at Jesus' feet, soaking up the pure pleasure of his teaching and fellowship and doing apparently nothing else besides. She's certainly not pulling her weight in the kitchen. Now let me point out just how true to life this situation is. The Bible shows us the world not only as it ought to be, it shows us the world as it actually is. Not only men and women as we ought to be, but as we actually are. The Bible is absolutely candid about human sin. Maybe you've noticed that men and women, taken as two distinct groups, taken as social categories, men and women differ from one another in a number of subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. Which is just as it should be. At the creation, God intended men and women to be different, to complement one another to be beautifully and wonderfully different, to complete and round out the experience of what it is to be human. Men and women aren't carbon copies of one another. What would be the point of that? God's law celebrates and emphasizes this difference between men and women in a number of different ways, just as the law says that there are clothes, that pertaineth distinctly to a man or distinctly to a woman, so there also seem to be sins, more characteristic of women, just as there are also sins more characteristic of men. This tendency to let frustrations quietly simmer inside until they finally unexpectedly boil up and boil over with an emotional outburst that surprises everyone That would seem pretty odd in a man, wouldn't it? But we read Luke's account of Martha's frustration in in verse 40. And it has the ring of authenticity. 
It's an unpleasant thing to witness, but I've seen good, sound Christian women do this sort of thing from time to time. Maybe you have too. These two dear sisters have somewhat different perspectives on hospitality, and it causes friction in the home. Martha's method is to give. So she gives and gives and gives. She gives her very best effort. She puts her heart into it. That's the way she expresses her love. Mary's method is to enjoy. She knows she has nothing to give that compares with all that the Lord Jesus has to give her. So what does she do? She simply sits at his feet and takes it all in, listening to the Lord's word. These are two perspectives on hospitality. Neither of them is necessarily bad, but one of them is decidedly good. One is decidedly the better part, at least when it's the Lord Jesus you're hosting. And, of course, it is very true that this Jesus is king. But must you therefore drive yourself to distraction to serve him a meal fit for a king? Maybe he'd rather serve you. Maybe he'd rather have your ear and your heart than your hors d'oeuvres. Friends, could it be that our service in his glorious kingdom could stand to be a little less task-oriented, a little less performance-oriented, and more listening-oriented, more Jesus-oriented? Because the fact of the matter is, no man's ever spoken as he speaks. No one's ever taught as he teaches. No one's ever loved as he loves. And all our very best service, our very best effort, is never, ever going to impress him. It's never going to be above and beyond the clear call of simple duty. Even our best productions fall short. Our best productions are late to the table and lukewarm when they get there. The Bible gives us two Old Testament Proverbs that lay out for us side by side these two different approaches by which Mary and her sister Martha viewed the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first of them is Proverbs 15, verse 17. It says, Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And Proverbs 17.1 is very similar. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Peace in the home and quietness with love. This precious gift of God can be yours by paying diligent attention to the law of Jesus Christ, our ascended and reigning King. And it's a law no longer falling from Jesus' lips to Mary's ear as it first was 20 centuries ago. In these last days, it's a law recorded and written 
permanently and infallibly in this book. This is the way of peace in the home. The way of peace in the home, the way of Jesus, can be yours, not by doing, but by listening. And so, for that matter, can peace in the church, which is the household of God. Peace can be ours. You've certainly noticed how simple our worship services are here in a church that strives not to entertain anyone. Not to go to a lot of fuss and bother, but simply to listen to Jesus and to enjoy Him. You've certainly noticed how little the content and order of worship changes here from week to week. Is that because we're musically ungifted? Is it because we're unimaginative? Maybe we are. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, were gifted and imaginative. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was gifted and imaginative. Jezebel was gifted and imaginative. Blessed be God that our uh, blessed be God, our risen and reigning King Jesus has greatly gifted us. He has, but maybe imaginative isn't what we want to be when we serve Him. Maybe human artistry doesn't belong in the worship of God. Maybe for nourishment, a dish of vegetables is enough, as long as we have the love of Jesus with it. When we meet with him, why throw in, for the sake of human artistry and entertainment, a lot of things he hasn't said he loves? Does the Lord Jesus Christ love projectors and amplifiers? Does he love images? But we know he loves the Psalms. He loves to hear his people sing and pray. He loves his own word and he loves it when, like Mary, we listen. Only a few things are genuinely needful whenever we gather together in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only a few things we cannot do without. Grace in the heart, for instance. Love. Serenity. Peace. And even these few excellent qualities are but facets of the one priceless jewel, that pearl of great price, that treasure to be had from Jesus by listening. Many of the distractions of the busy soul that keep us from resting at the feet of Jesus, all of them like the grass and flower of the field, will very soon fail or fade away. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Martha needed from Jesus this gentle, loving admonition, as do we all, too frequently, who wrap ourselves up in the frantic doing of things and impatience with those who don't. 
Mary was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. Mary had caught the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching. And the glory of that kingdom captures her heart and soul and mind and strength by grace working mightily within her. Human effort, human entertainment suddenly completely fades into irrelevance. Because the Lord Jesus is here. Let's listen. That's the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Amen.